Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, coming to you from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Be here for a couple more days. Probably, I would suspect Wednesday will be a travel day, which means that uh, you'll get a show Thursday and Friday. So I'll, I'll keep you updated on that on the social media platforms. You know, if I end up staying Wednesday, I'll record the show Wednesday and travel back Thursday, and you'll be none the wiser. But we'll see. We'll see how things go. I'm having a great time here. I always do more because of the company rather than the geography. But uh, we've had a great couple of days. It's always good to get out and spend some time with people you love. You know what I'm saying? That's the that's the big, that's what life is about. And uh, my wife surprised me. You know, I got here and I ordered a couple things, and I said, "Hey, listen, don't uh, don't open that stuff." So I get there, and uh, so she had to walk by those Amazon boxes every day, and had to think of me, right? So I know what I'm doing. And uh, so we were going to Santa Fe for a couple days, and she surprised me. She said, "Hey, I got to find something for us to do in Santa Fe." And I said, "Okay, great." She said, cool, I found something, I'll, uh, I'll let you know. I was like, well, what is it? She goes, I'm going to surprise you. Well, it turns out it was a ski trip. I had never been snow skiing a day in my life. I will tell you this, now that I've done it for a day, I'd like to be good at it. I'm not yet, but I did pretty good. Uh, I think I think all things considered, for a guy that's 50, you get out there on the bunny slope and you're on there with kids that are like two years old and they're out there doing things you wish you could do. But it was fun. And if you've never been, I encourage you to go. I kind of tweaked the left knee a little bit, but, uh, you know, no worse for wear. But uh, we were tired last night. I'm not going to lie. We took the bus ride down the mountain, and uh, she fell asleep in my lap. And next thing you know, I've nodded off. And then uh, we stop at a bus stop, and I'm like, where are we? And they're like, oh, this is your stop. We get off, had a good night's rest, and uh, drove back to Albuquerque today. So I'm a little bit late. I, I, I planned to post some bones at Jean's page uh, yesterday. Going to do that. Uh, shortly after I get all this finished up. But, um, yeah, man, it's been a good time. I hope it's my last trip to New Mexico, though, to be honest with you. It really is. I mean, it's a long way out here. Uh, and, and granted, if my wife wasn't out here, I wouldn't be here either. But it's been nice to kind of see the uh, the locale and, and kind of see the geography. I will tell you something that's super cool, though. I'm not Catholic. Uh, I'm not. I have a lot of respect for Catholic faith. Whatever you believe, listen... I respect what you believe. That's absolutely your business. It's a very personal decision. And uh, But while we were in Santa Fe, I had to go to Loretto Chapel. That's L-O-R-E-T-T-O, Loretto Chapel. If you're unfamiliar with that, let me encourage you to Google that. It was actually Mike Leach that had told me, hey, guys, next time you're out there, you got to go. You got to go. My wife came out here like the first month she was here and had a chance to go see it. They've got this incredible staircase that supposedly defies the laws of physics. And the story behind it is they built this this pristine chapel and they built a choir loft, but um, they hadn't built like a, a staircase to get to it. So it's kind of unoccupied. And then all of a sudden this guy shows up one day, said he's on a mission from God and, and uh, he's there to build their staircase. Nobody knew who he was. 
And he wanted to work in silence and solitude and completely close everything off. And he built this magnificent staircase. It still stands to this day. You can't walk on it, which is understandable. But we went to the chapel, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's, um, it's one of the holiest places I think I've ever been. I mean, honestly, you walk in there, and, and like you feel obligated to, like, as soon as you walk in, like, take your hat off and dust your shoes off and everything. It's just, it's a very special place. And there were people that were in there that were kneeling and just kind of taking in all the scenes. And uh, again, I'm not Catholic, but I lit a candle for, uh, for my wife and I and for all of our kids. And, uh, you know, even our two kids that have passed on, I just felt led to do that. And so, it may be an insignificant thing to you, but uh, it was significant to me, and, and it's, it's really kind of kind of changed my attitude a little bit today. I guess I've been a little more solemn and forlorn ever since then, you know, just because of the fact that, um, I don't know, maybe because of the fact that it was one of those last conversations Mike Leach and I had, and he goes, hey, you got to do this. And so I went and did that, and I thought about him a lot when I was there. I thought, you know, this is one of those traveling tips that he gave me, and I'm glad I went and did it. And uh, it's interesting, it was so frigid and cold and windy and snowy and ice and everything else. It's really winter in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, we went to go eat, and I was like, let's, I think let's just eat and go. Let's just eat and get back to Albuquerque. And the wife's like, well, you don't want to go see the chapel? And so I look it up, and the chapel's like 800 feet away. I'm like, there's no way, when this may be the last trip of my life to Santa Fe, New Mexico, I'm not going to at least go see this chapel. i got to go see this staircase. And so I did. So if you're ever out in this neck of the woods, I'd tell you, go do it. Uh, we went and skied at Ski Santa Fe, which is great. It's very well done. It's, it's what you'd expect, you know, from a major ski resort. It was incredible. The people were great. Uh, and we've Ubered everywhere because, you know, our, our vehicles are not, uh, are not conditioned for the winter weather. So we've kind of Ubered everywhere we went. And um, everybody's been super nice, man. And they get such a big kick out of us being from Mississippi, you know, because we don't talk like them. But... Uh, it's been it's been great, and uh, I had so many people. I, I you guys know I'm not a big fan of Albuquerque, but I'm a huge fan of Santa Fe. I'm a huge fan of Santa Fe. I think the people of Santa Fe are outstanding, and if you ever get a chance to go visit that cool little town, I encourage you to go do so. The architecture there much different than what we see uh, in the South. It's almost like being in a different country. It really is. I mean, it, it really, really is. And I say that in, in the most positive way possible. It's not not to say it's better. Than what we have in the South, it's just different, you know, and, and it's cool to kind of see some things a little bit different. So our top 10 list today going to be kind of along those same lines, not going to be about Santa Fe. Uh, but all that being said, uh, it's been a good trip. I'll, again, I'll spend a couple more days out here and then I'll head back. It is a long drive out there and, and your good friend and host is very much the road warrior. And uh, it's so funny when I first came out here the first time I, I came, I guess the second time, actually, when I was so miserable as you guys have known, uh, I left the Friday after Thanksgiving and drove all 17 hours. And one of my wife's nursing friends out here said, uh, oh, Dana, it's just so romantic. I wish a guy would drive 17 hours for me. I said, you know, I would have driven to Russia and boarded a ferry across the Bering Strait. I would have driven to Alaska, boarded a ferry across the Bering Strait, and then hiked up a mountain in Russia. That's what it took for me to get to her. And so uh, it's been good. I'm enjoying my time here and uh, looking forward to getting back, looking forward to getting her back, too. Uh, back to uh, to Starkville. Because I've joked with her a couple times, magnolias don't bloom in the desert, baby. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. They do bloom out in uh, the south and really wherever those seeds are planted, man. Bulldog Burger Company, a great place to work, a great place to dine. If you're looking for employment, if you've got a student maybe moving to Starkville here at the end of the semester, I encourage you, uh, go apply. And that could be any of their locations. So they're happy to. I can, I can tell you from firsthand experience. I've had a nephew that's worked there now, a son that's worked there. 
he absolutely loves it. Absolutely loves having some work friends and uh, everybody kind of mutually aligned in many respects. It's a great organization, no doubt about it. And maybe you're not looking for work. Maybe you're just looking for a night out with friends or a night out with family. Bulldog Burger Company has got you covered. You can have an adult beverage if you'd like, or if you know what, if you don't want to do that, just get a great restaurant called a hamburger. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. You'll be glad you did. It'll make you and everybody around you better looking. And you get that chocolate shake to go, You get the, or that bread pudding to go. I'm a big proponent of dessert to go, because you know, later on, you're going to need that palate cleanser. That's kind of how I am. I always have to have something, whether it be a little mint or a dessert or something. I like to have a palate cleanser to close the meal. So whether it be a quality appetizer, a fantastic entree, or an amazing dessert, you can have all three courses right there at Bulldog Burger Company. You'll be glad you did. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark, Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and Lake Harper Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place for people to go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Based on the weekend that Mississippi State has had, I think many of you might want me to just stay out here in New Mexico. You know, I, I'm, I'm a person that believes in, uh, in jinx, right, in some respects. And I, I'm, I'm a superstitious person. Mississippi State, big weekend in the NCAA transfer portal on the football side of things. So let's jump into that if we can. Sunday State picks up two commitments, and we've talked about this you know, last week. As Every time State picks up a new transfer commitment, there's going to be another player leave. So go ahead and expect that, and, and I need your help with this. Because in May, when all of a sudden we have some reserves and some younger guys go in the portal, people are going to freak out. And you're going to be able to intelligently tell them, well, we needed to make room. We needed to make room. That's the reality of it. It's not a personal matter. Everybody's got to do what's best for them. It's true. But as it stands today, even with Dylan Johnson's decision pending, Mississippi State is now four over the 85 limit based on projections. Last week when we spoke, we were at 87. We've added two transfer commitments since then. So we're now 89. 15 new signees coming in plus a couple more transfers. And we know, we feel confident there's going to be at least one more. So that means you're going to have at least five players leave in the spring. I'm telling you now, it's not a matter of being Nostradamus. It's a matter of mathematics. So go ahead and understand that ahead of time. So when you see, you know, John Q. Bulldog that uh, gets all their news about Mississippi State off Facebook, you be prepared to correct the record. Going to need your help with that. All right, let's talk about those two commitments. Uh, Freddie Roberson, and I I assume he pronounces it Roberson, could be Roberson, could be. Originally from Seattle, Washington, had a great career at Eastern Washington. And now he's headed to be a Mississippi State Bulldog. Now, this is a guy... We've, had a, we've got one particular poster. I won't out his actual name, but uh, he posts on jeanspage.com, Dog Season 12. This guy probably has the greatest interest level in wide receivers of anybody I've ever known. Anybody that hits a portal, he'll say, hey, here's a name, and he goes and watches film. Oh, this guy fits us. And, but this is a guy that we've been talking about on jeanspage.com for a while. There was some discussion. Maybe we wouldn't get a visit. Maybe we would get a visit. Uh, he was going to take a visit and decide shortly thereafter, and the schedule continued to change. But now he has formally announced that he is going to be a Bulldog. Let's take a look and see kind of what he's done here. Uh, 6'2", 195 pounds out of Rainier Beach High School. The fact that they have any beach high schools in Seattle is, uh, is news to me. 
a redshirt junior this year up there. And so he played, redshirted in 18, played in 19, and of course had the COVID year, played in 21, played in 22. So he'll have one year to play one. The benefit of that COVID year will enable him to come to the Southeastern Conference and kind of show what he can do. A lot of people believe he has pro potential. I think, you know, it's probably fair. Looking at his his numbers, he is a guy that kind of gets out and does some things. Now, looking at, um, you know, his receiving stats for this year. Well, we'll back up a little bit here. All right, so 19, as a redshirt freshman, played in 10 games, 14 catches, 220 yards, one touchdown. His COVID year, played in seven games. Of course, that was a limited schedule that year. Seven games, 33 receptions, three touchdowns. In 2021, 11 games played, 49 receptions, which is a career high, 779 yards, six touchdowns. And then this past year, played in 10 games, missed the one, 45 receptions, 797, uh, and seven touchdowns. So you can see, you know, his production continues to rise each year of experience, especially when you look at it per game, right? You know, 11 games in 21, 10 games in 22, but the numbers are, are, are very similar when you begin to do the math on that. And, of course, one less game, one more touchdown this year, and more yardage. This is a guy that uh, has gotten it done on the Division One level and has done a few things for them. You know, plays some special teams, has run the football a little bit, and you like dynamic receivers that you can move around and do a lot of things with. But, uh, you know, Freddie was a guy that a lot of people were, were interested in. There were a ton of people that were recruiting him. This is a guy, again, with that one year to play, he's a plug-and-play guy, right? That's the big thing. He is a plug-and-play guy that can come right in and, and make uh, make some things happen. Now, things have changed a lot, you know, over the course of his recruitment. You know, we have uh, went through a coaching change, an offensive change, and uh, you know, the people that were recruiting him have changed. Uh, you'll notice on his social media account, Chad Bumpus. Chad Bumpus is standing there with him. Uh, Bumpus will know how to use him and get him acclimated to the Southeastern Conference. But just kind of looking at some of the offers here. Freddie had offer from West Virginia. It's always nice to get a guy with Power 5 options. An offer from Penn State. Uh, had a top four here a while back of Washington State, BYU, Mississippi State, Fresno State. Uh, none of those are insignificant. You kind of get my point here, though. This is a guy that had options. This wasn't a guy that just, hey, all of a sudden, you begin to look at it and say, all right, well, this is a, a kind of a default thing. South Alabama was another. Virginia Tech offered him. Hawaii offered him. Uh, Tulane, Washington State, we mentioned them. Arizona State. So a lot of offers since going into portal back on December 3rd. This is a great get for Mississippi State. This is a great get for Mississippi State. Now, just an average get now. I think it's important to understand, too, you know, with Rai Rai leaving, and, and Rai Rai's been in the papers, and I'm just going to tell you, too, I, I, I hate that situation. I don't know the details behind it. I've read the reports like you all have based out of Athens, the Georgia PD involved. Uh, you, you hate it. You do. Now, if he's guilty of this, he has to be held accountable. But you hate to see somebody that, uh, that we cheered for and had a relationship with uh, be mixed up in any illegal activity. So I hope for the best for everybody involved, for sure. Um, but, you know, you, you certainly hate that. But with Ra Ra leaving, you know, we needed to go get another receiver. And there was talk with Milou Zavian, Milou Tulu. You know, we've kind of dodged that bullet for now. You know, got him back. And, of course, we got to navigate through to the next portal window. But, um, you know, I've, I've had some people 
you know, let's just say some uh, some loud loud mouth Ole Miss folks told me they're going to make another run at Tulu in the spring. So we'll be prepared for that. But um, it never ends, does it? It's like we get all these players nobody wants, and then they want them to get in the portal so they can get them. I don't think it's about the player. I think it's about perception. But with Ry Ry leaving, we had to get another receiver. Now, we're not going to be running four and five wides as much this year, right? That's just not going to be the expectation. But you needed to go get an experienced guy. So let's consider that need officially met. Now, you're also aware of the fact that Mississippi State had three. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tacovas.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tacovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.
free scholarship quarterbacks enter the NCAA transfer portal. No question about that. That was a big area of concern because you begin to think, and God forbid, right, God forbid, you start thinking, well, what if Will Rogers get injured, gets injured? You hate to think along those lines, but you can't afford to bury your head in the sand. you got to think. This is a possibility. And so we needed to go get a guy that not only, in my estimation, provides some competition, but also a bit of a compliment. Now, Mike Wright from Vanderbilt, completely different from Will Rogers. These guys will compete. I suspect that Mike Wright will also have some packages in this offense. Is it a true two-quarterback system? I don't know that I would go that far. But I think especially in the red zone, you get Mike Wright and his ability to run the football, maybe in short yardage, you get him in and you kind of get some things going. Now, I think it's interesting, too, that Mike still has two years of eligibility left. So that's a big part of things, too, when you begin to think about this. Now, Mike has also been very, very coy about his options. Now, I'm told he did have several options, but he picks Mississippi State on yesterday. Now, let's go back and look at some Mike Wright numbers. You know, Mississippi State played against Mike. Uh, Mike also engineered big wins this year over, what, Kentucky and Florida? All right, let's go back and look at numbers here. All right, so uh, played as played at six games as a freshman. That's a 2020 year. Doesn't count. Uh, didn't do much. Was kind of a gadget guy for them. Did a few things here and there. And then wins the job as a sophomore. Started five of the last six games. Made his first college start against South Carolina. He appeared in 10 of 12 games. And I suspect that'll be the case with us. You'll probably see him in most games. Doesn't mean he's going to start. Uh, but I think there is a role for him, and I think it adds a new dimension to this offense. All right, in 2022, uh, Mike is the team captain at Vanderbilt, played in 10 games, had six starts, kind of a similar situation, right? So this is a guy that's kind of used to being the guy that um, kind of is used as needed. And so it's almost like a perfect combination for us. Yes, we get a guy with SEC experience, but we get a guy, too, that is used to being a good teammate, it's not a guy that's going to come in here and make waves if he doesn't have the opportunity to play every snap. I think that is an absolute best-case scenario, plus the fact he and Will Rogers' skill sets are completely different. And so now all of a sudden you've got to prepare for both Will Rogers and Mike Wright. So I like the move. It gives State a security blanket. It also gives State a running component in some situations where the defense has to account for the quarterback run. That's an important aspect of this, too. Probably... One of those things that may be a bit undersold is the fact that Mike Wright is a plus runner. And how many times did we get in the red zone this year? And not to say that State was not efficient in the red zone. We absolutely were. But how many times that maybe if you had a quarterback run element there, could you have made things a little more difficult? Maybe you turned field goals into touchdowns, right? And so I think this helps everybody. It helps Mississippi State because, number one, now you've got three scholarship quarterbacks, two guys with SEC snaps under their belts, Guys that got SEC starts under their belt. And then in addition to that, it makes the offense more dynamic. It's great. And so big day on Sunday for certain on the recruiting trail. Now, when you start looking at these Mike Wright numbers too, I'm going to pull up the stats here. I think it's because we can, you know, we can run through a lot of things here and there. But uh, 6'4", 195 pound out of uh, Fayetteville, Georgia. His high school was Woodward Academy, if you're familiar with that neck of the woods. I ran for 163 yards against Hawaii. You remember that game? I think I picked Hawaii to win that game. 
to be brutally honest with you. I uh, ran for a couple scores against Eline, had an 87-yard run against Hawaii. Pretty crazy. Threw for 245 yards against Elon. And, you know, accuracy is not really his strong suit. That's one thing we'll have to work on. And, again, he is a dual-threat quarterback, but really more of a runner and a controlled passer. 13-21 against uh, Hawaii. That was a decent game for him, 61.9%. Uh, but uh, probably the best game of the year for him was against Florida. 31-24 win. He's 10-16, of 16, just 108 yards, but goes three touchdowns, has the one pick and then ran uh, eight times for just 13 yards. But uh, it was really the, st- the straw that stirred the drink there. I remember late they had to make some plays, and he made them. They get blasted by Tennessee, and, and uh, not, not a good game for them. But, uh, you know, like the Ole Miss game. You, know, you talk about that Ole Miss game. What if Mike Wright would have been full, full strength against Ole Miss, right? And, I mean, that's always a barn burner of a game. But Mike didn't do much in that ball game. But, um, you know, a, a guy that – Again, adds a different dimension to this offense. Uh, career passing numbers uh, this year, 85 for 148 for 57.4%. That's got to get better. That, that, that absolutely has to get better. 12 TDs against four picks, a long of 80, uh, averaged about 100 yards a game. So, again, kind of a gadget quarterback, you know, dual threat guy. Again, it's got some packages with I don't know if you build a complete offense around him, at least not this year. Maybe you, you put him in a situation where, you know, with – will probably leave at the end of this year then maybe mike's a starter next year you know we'll see and then maybe chris parson becomes a bit of your gadget guy uh, or kind of your, your part-time quarterback but uh, really happy with both of these gets because headed into the you know the end of this portal situation and into spring enrollment we had to have another receiver but probably the most emergent need we had was another quarterback absolutely had to get another quarterback and so we've gotten that and so I think now you can kind of kick back and feel pretty good about life and say, okay, all right, hey, we're good. We're good. We're good. Now, do you have any other needs out there? Well, you got to get tight ends. And I think that's the focus at this point. If we're going to run this offense, it's full proficiency. you got to have tight ends. And I don't mean converted tight ends. I mean true tight ends, guys that are born to play the position. I, I, I talked about this on the message board the other day. I don't know that I wouldn't have Malik Ellis work there this spring. Not saying he stays there full time, but just to kind of get through – spring practice and then you throw in the fact that the offensive tackles and tight ends coach is Wolf friend it's the same coach so the the culture and terminology is going to be the same so maybe you start him out there at tight end to get his feet wet and help you facilitate practice and then have him slide in and play tackle moving forward i don't know just, I'm, I'm just spitballing here i may be completely wrong but malik ellis is a guy that's uh you know what six five 245 pounds really athletic if nothing else, he can get you through spring practice because you don't expect him to play many snaps this year on the offensive line. Desperately needs a red shirt to kind of bulk up. In many respects, kind of built a lot like Charles Cross. I don't expect him to have that same uh, career. But I'm just saying, you know, we're kind of in a desperate need right now when it comes to uh, attached tight ends and H-backs and things like that. I know Antonio Harmon's a name that continues to kind of bubble up and and I just want to get him on the field. I think Antonio Harmon's a guy with an incredible catch radius. He's a great athlete. Foot speed's always been a little bit of a question mark. Fast enough to play tight end, though. Absolutely fast enough to play tight end. I think that's important to understand as we move forward that uh, with this offense, you've got some moving pieces where you can move some guys around and create some mismatches that are advantageous to your offense. So uh, we'll see how things go with that. But uh, they've got some decisions to make, obviously. 
But tight end's got to be the focus as we get into the uh, you know the final segment of the portal. But uh, again, just kind of reiterate, you're going to have five or so guys go into the portal in May. That that is not a matter of speculation. The only question is who they're going to be. The numbers simply just kind of lend itself to that line of thinking. So it's important to understand that's where things are now. That's how things will be kind of moving forward. Okay, time for today's top 10 list. As you guys are aware, it's always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's Close, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. Blair has been my friend for a long time. I hear from Blair, not just on a business side of things. He just checks in with me. How are you doing, man? How are things going? What's going on? What can I do for you? He's a good friend. He'll be your friend, too. That same level of care and friendship is part of his professional reputation. Let's just say it that way. This is a guy that's going to care about you all the way through the process. It's difficult to navigate through the mortgage lending process. You you need everything these days. You need a note from your mom, a lock of your child's first hair, a first haircut. You know, there's always so much to it. But Blair can get that simplified for you and kind of streamline the process a little bit because he has 21 years of experience. He knows what underwriters are looking for. He understands what needs to happen how to structure a loan to get it approved. Reach out to Blair today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Mention to him you heard about him on the barnyard, and he'll even pay for your appraisal. That's part of the process. One of the more expensive parts of the process, right? So instead of you having to fork out that money, he's going to pay it for you. It's about a $500 value. A lot of people want your business. Blair is willing to earn it. Again, that's CloseTheBlair.com. Okay, in honor of uh, my Winter Wonderland experience, we're going to do top 10 songs about winter. Now, we've got some legendary artists on this list. Maybe you see it differently. But this is a very diverse list. There's a lot to this. I think it's indicative of the last couple days here. I tell you, Santa Fe, of course, a lot higher elevation. Matter of fact, we got stuck in somebody's driveway. We, we Airbnb'd it. That's usually how I travel. Got a nice Airbnb, and the GPS had us turn into the wrong driveway. And immediately, it didn't feel right. And I said, hey, go back, back up. Let's get out of here. We got stuck. AAA came, couldn't get us out. Somebody else is supposed to come, and eventually our Airbnb host with their four-wheel drive came and got us out of there. And then we, uh, you know, had a story to tell. I'm just glad the people weren't home crazy all right but here you go top 10 songs about winter number 10 probably an underappreciated classic from one of the greatest rock bands of all time it's her majesty the queen it's a winner's tale from queen number nine many of you i know we have a lot of female listeners on the show that, that love early 90s alternative rock and you know fade into you by mazzy star which is a beautiful love song it really is There's another great hidden classic in that catalog called Flower in December. And it's kind of like, you know, the color of finding beauty in life. Number eight, we got to go Mississippi Blues every once in a while. It's Cold Weather Blues by Muddy Waters. Number eight on your list today, Cold Weather Blues by Muddy Waters. I'll tell you this, though. When you're on top of the mountain and it's sunny and it's uh, a nice, bright blue sky, you don't even really feel cold. And my wife had gotten us some ski jackets and all that kind of stuff. I didn't uh, expect any of that. I'm going to keep it. Even if I don't ski that often, I'm going to keep it. 
because I don't really have a cold weather jacket. And uh, sometimes you go cover these ball games, you're on the sidelines, you wish you did. But cold weather blues. I wasn't in the blues yesterday. I had a great time. Really did. Number seven, one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite artists from their second album. It's the rock group Cinderella. And it's Long Cold Winter, which is a very bluesy, absolutely in-your-face, guitar-driven song. Long Cold Winter from Cinderella. Number six, more on the women's side here. It's a great duet from Sarah Bareilles and Ingrid Michaelson. It's Winter Song. And this is it's a little more depressive, and a lot of people believe in seasonal depression. I don't. I think a lot of that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, it's time for my seasonal depression, so I'm going to just go, I'm going to be depressed. Uh, I'm a firm believer. I used to say, you know, I'd never had a sad day in my life. I just hadn't lived long enough, right? The, you know, life is not always fair to you, but uh, Winter Song, a great duet. Uh, love the guitar on this one. Uh, check it out. You may be somewhat unfamiliar with that one, and you should be. Number five, though, one of the great songs from Led Zeppelin. It talks about, in the opening bars, the land of ice and snow. That's how I felt the last couple of days being in New Mexico. It's the immigrant song from Led Zeppelin, number five. Anytime that we can work in a Robert Plant whale on a top ten list, it's a good day. So there you go, immigrant song. Number four. It's California Dreamin' from Mamas and the Papas on such a winter's day. And that's kind of how I felt at times yesterday. Even though thanks to the, uh, the the ski gear, I really was never cold and the weather was amazing. Uh, when we got ready to go get on that bus to go back down the mountain and the sun is starting to set and you're in the shadows and stuff, it got really cold and I was glad I had gloves. You know, I, I'm, from, I'm from the south. I'm from south Mississippi, right? And so we're used to sweating. We're not used to shivering. All right, number three, I broke our record here. I broke our policy. This song was originally recorded by Simon and Garfunkel, and it was on the Less Than Zero soundtrack. If you don't know the movie Less Than Zero, for you young bucks, find it and watch it. It is one of the most, I would say, authentic stories about addiction. And uh, if you don't know the movie, I encourage you to watch it. Um... It's one of these deals where you see three friends from high school. There is Julian and Blair, and uh, I can't remember Andrew McCarthy's character's name. It's, forgive me. But they're like inseparable in high school. They go off to college, and then things begin to change. And Julian, who is played by Robert Downey Jr., uh, gets into the, the tidal wave of addiction and can't get out. And it's like this is a person that really struggles to save themselves. But on that soundtrack, you've got Going Back to Cali, you've got The Rock and Pneumonia and The Boogie Woogie Flu by Aerosmith. Uh, you got a nice cover of uh, Iron Butterflies and Agata DeVita. I think Slayer did that. But probably the song that is indicative of that soundtrack in that movie is the Bangles cover of Hazy Shade of Winter. And I'm a, I'm a big Susanna Hoffs fan. She recently turned uh, 29. She still looks amazing, extremely talented, played that Rickenbacker guitar. But number three, Hazy Shade of Winter. Number two, we kind of got to get off the pop track a little bit here and get back into some rock. It's Snowblind from Black Sabbath. Snowblind from Black Sabbath. I took a couple pretty nasty falls on the slopes. I joked with my wife yesterday. I said, I know there's snowboarders have their GoPro cameras on. And if any of those guys are behind me, there may be a viral video of me eating it coming down that mountain yesterday. Because like the last thing we did, right? 
it's like you go through the lesson and you you know you you do the bunny slope stuff and everybody's you know like what are these grown people doing out there but hey if you've ever done it you understand it's important to kind of learn to uh, you know to wedge and stop and turn and so eventually like when you finish up your ski lesson you get on the ski lift and you go up to like a more moderate slope and uh, it's very, very disheartening to see kids out there doing it better than you. But you got to start somewhere. And uh, there were a couple times that I'm going down there. And, of course, uh, your good friend and host is just under 200 pounds. My wife is not. So it's a little easier for her to stop than it is me. And uh, she went all the way down without falling. I fell four times. I am not too proud to admit that. And a couple times I bailed out. I absolutely bailed out. Not just for my safety, but for somebody else's. And I had a Gatorade bottle in my pocket. And one time I fell, and that Gatorade bottle hit me in the sternum. I fell directly on that. It knocked the wind out of me. That's a hard feeling, man. It is. But thankfully, I said, you know what? I'm not going to let the ski patrol bring me down. I'm going to find my way down this mountain. And I did. I did. And my poor, beautiful wife is sitting down there at the end, you know, watching her husband flop all over that mountain. But uh, I'm glad I did it. I'll be honest with you. I'm glad I did it. It was a very positive experience despite the uh, the learning curve. So if you've never done it, I'd encourage you to do it. But uh, thankfully, I was never snow blind, even though one time I was very glad I had my helmet on, probably a little bit concussed. But number one, we're going with snow, hey from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anytime we can work the peppers in, uh, it's great. It reminds me today, too, I had a great meal at a place called The Shed in Santa Fe. If you're ever up there on the plaza, Go by and eat there. It is a little bit pricey, but um, they have the authentic red chili chili. They say it's spicy. It's really not. Of course, now I, I spent you know the better part of 20 years in Louisiana, so my palate might be a little more refined than most when it comes to spicy food. But uh, it was great. And, uh, again, a great experience. thought because many of you are experiencing some winter weather in the south here in the next day or two, uh, you kind of get it. As a matter of fact, when I drove into Albuquerque uh, around 2 in the morning on, uh, I guess it would be considered Saturday morning, I left Friday and uh, had some challenges getting here, but uh, drove the last 30 miles in driving snow. And, and I'm really appreciative of those 18-wheelers that uh, were ahead of me to kind of pave the path, right? I mean, there's so many times on 40, I'm, I'm navigating through all those trucks and thinking, man, this stinks. I was very grateful that those guys were there. Very grateful uh, driving through that snow. But I, I made it, and uh, incredibly, my wife was able to get off work early. They were, they had a slow night, and they said, hey, we're going to send somebody home. My wife's like, I want to go. My husband's at, at uh, my rental property. And so she comes home, and uh, it was great. It was great. And, uh, again, anytime you get a chance to spend uh, time with the person you love the most is incredible. But when you get a chance to do something new and fresh and go on a new adventure and make some new memories – that's what life is really all about. I've said on the show many times, I would rather do things than have things. And that doesn't mean that I'm ungrateful for the things that I have, but I'm more grateful for the things I've been able to experience. And uh, you know, going out there and kind of learning to ski with my wife is something that uh, I'm really excited about. Now we've got the kids all fired up. They want to do it sometime too, which, means, which is great for me because it gives me an excuse to stay on the bunny slope a little bit longer, right? I can, oh, well, let me go help the kids, right? Uh, but yeah, it's a, a great experience, and uh, I feel like that it's been a wonderful experience in every aspect. But uh, again, my hope is this is my last trip here, and if uh, 
Works out, i got to be out here next month and I'll be out here. I've had many of you tell me they think the shows are better when I'm in New Mexico. I'm not quite sure how to take that, but I think some of that's got to do with the fact that uh, my heart has been in New Mexico for the last six months, and so I've been reunited with my heart for a little while when I come out here. And So uh, that's your top ten list for today. Thanks so much for your support of top ten list. Be sure and uh, check out our great list on Spotify. You can follow Roy Samante at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And follow him on Twitter as well. I have a lot of people that say, you know what, Steve? I, I enjoy the list because you turn me on to stuff I haven't heard before. That's kind of part of the deal. It's just kind of celebrating music, but also, too, you know, kind of exposing you to new stuff. I love it when somebody turns me on to a new band or a new artist. Uh, that I'm unfamiliar with. And it doesn't matter what the genre is. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that's kind of single-serving, kind of fast-food music, right? You know what I'm I'm talking about? It's like it's good for the moment, but it's not anything I would do every day. I still enjoy hearing it for the first time. Like My youngest son turns me on a lot of stuff in this newer generation that I would never have been exposed to otherwise. But but the reality of it is I'm very well-versed in music. People tell me all the time I would never want to get into an argument with you about music. I take that as a as a compliment because I, I it is a passion of mine. But the days like today that we can kind of take an experience and then put a soundtrack to it is kind of cool too. So uh, thanks as always to Roy Samante, who is a great friend of mine. I appreciate Roy. I had a chance to break bread at Startwell Cafe with him, have a little breakfast. Uh, love being able to do that. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things too. It's like you get so busy, man, with everything else going on in life. Sometimes you, you know, friendships – sometimes kind of fall by the wayside. You don't mean to. You know, Facebook makes us all lazy, right? Or Instagram, whatever you do these days. I know Facebook isn't, isn't supposedly cool anymore. But, uh, you know, I, I know for me, it's like, well, you see everybody's pictures and you see they're, oh, they're doing this. You feel like you're caught up, but you're really not. You're really not. You're not caught up. And so it's nice to be able to kind of sit down across the table from somebody and break bread and kind of talk about all the great things that are going on in your life. And in some situations, the bad things that are going on in life. I mean, nobody should ever feel alone. Ever, ever. Nobody should ever feel alone. That's one of the things I've got some friends of mine that are dealing with some very negative things right now. And I got one person in particular, man, since all this crisis has come up, I have texted or called this guy every single day, maybe with the exception of yesterday. You know, I just kind of want to check in. I don't want you to feel like that you're having to navigate through this alone. Of course, you know, the impact of this situation is minimal to me, other than the fact that my friend is going through this, right? But, um, I think it's important to understand, no matter how serious the situation is, we check in on our friends. You hear that all the time. We always say, how many times do you see it, man, if somebody somebody hurts themselves, man, if somebody elects to take their own life? I mean, how many times do people say, man, I wish I would have known? I wish I would have known. Well, let me tell you, one of the things your good friend and host has done over the course of the last couple years is I've done a better job checking in on my friends. You know, you guys heard me talk about my friend Grant Fontenot. I found out, uh, actually, I found out last year. That he'd taken his life about a year before it, and I didn't know. I didn't even know. And that goes to show you what kind of friend I am, or I was. And I really feel like in many respects, the last couple of years, I've been distracted by a lot of things. I really do. I mean, it's one of the things that I've really done some some soul-searching about, is the fact that uh, there's some... I have kind of gotten caught up in my own stuff, right? You know, like my own stuff. And in, in, at some points, you have to kind of reevaluate life and realize, you know what? This is what really matters most to me. It is. And it's not building a brand or building a bank account. It's people. It's people. I mean, how many times do you hear it? It's like, you know what? People are what make my life great. It's not work. It's not. And one of the things that, again, I've shared this with you guys before, it's not your work friends are going to be gathering by your bedside. 
in your final hours. It's not. That's what we tell ourselves. It's like, oh, this guy's such a good guy, and it's this, oh, she's such a great friend. It's not true. It's just not. You know, family is really all we have. That's not to say that friendships are insignificant. It's not at all what I'm trying to suggest. But sometimes we've got to learn the difference between acquaintances and friendship. I got some people that I work with in the years past. I thought, man, this guy will be my friend forever. And I, I, I'm running friends on Facebook. You know, people kind of come and go. And so I say that, again, I don't want to preach and pontificate too long about this, but it's important that we focus on who and what matters most. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Campus Bookmart. They are my friends. They're your friends, too. They're friends to everybody that cheers for Mississippi State. Go by and see their smiling faces next time you're in town. Very neatly placed right there up against the backside of campus. Very easy to get to. So when you're doing your game day shopping, you can swing in there, pick up your Mississippi State merch, and then make your way to the venue. Uh, Very easy to leave from there and get to that new parking garage if you're somewhat unfamiliar with that. Uh, Great. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's talk about basketball here. Number one thing, I'm not going to be negative about men's basketball. I hate losing. I do. I hate losing. I probably hate losing more than I love winning. That's the truth. Always been that way. I suspect I always will be. We should have won that game. And I, I kind of get tired of saying that. Like, we should have won that game against Florida. We knew we had to have that one. And considering this very brutal stretch we got coming up, this is one I think we're going to look back on and say, you know what, we, we kind of blew this one. We needed to make this thing happen. We didn't. We ended up losing by just two. But, uh, you know, we had our chances. And, of course, we get down early in that ball game, and we just simply couldn't make it up. You know, it's like we, we, we get down and we just start chasing the game and chasing the game and chasing the game. And you look up here with four minutes to play, and we're down 10. Now, during the Ben Howland era, once we got to four minutes, we kind of knew the last four minutes we were going to be outplayed. I don't know if it was strength and conditioning. I don't know if Ben got caught up watching the game instead of coaching the game. But I think Chris Jans and his staff do a good job of kind of tightening things up. We give up that three-point basket from uh, – uh, Kawachi Reeves, it makes it a three-point game, a ten-point game. And then Cam misses a layup, and there's a block there. But then next thing you know, Cam with the big dunk there gets us to within eight at three-minute mark. We get a stop. We get a jumper from Will McNair. All of a sudden, it's a sixth game, and the Humphrey Coliseum of 8,800 are on their feet. They make a free throw. And uh, then next thing you know, Shaquille Moore goes to the line. We, we make both of those. Now we're down five. At the two-minute mark, and you start thinking, we got a shot, we got to get a stop here. We get a stop. And then Deshaun Davis rams home a three. And you're thinking, okay, we're going to come all the way back and do this. We're down just two with a minute 30 to go. They miss a three. We get a rebound. Cam turns it over. And then they still get another offensive set. We get the stop here. So we get the ball back with 14 seconds to go. And we just couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done. And uh, had a chance, uh, Cam Matthews with a chance there to, to, to make the tie in basket. We couldn't get it done. So we lose the game. And like all of you, we go through this all the time and say, you know what? That's a game we should have won. We absolutely should have won the game. There's, and I think Chris Jans will tell you the same. 
It wasn't for lack of effort. It was a lack of execution. I think we all see that. We just don't have enough offensive scores. That, I mean, that's just the cold, harsh reality of where we are right now. And it takes time to build a roster. We've worked the transfer portal hard. I believe Chris Jans did the best he possibly could do under the circumstances. We're just not where we need to be yet. It's not, again, it's not, a, it's not that we're not playing hard. We are. The greatest confidence you can give a coach is his teams play hard. And we absolutely do. We absolutely do. And who would have thought after that dreadful first half that we would be in a position on the last possession of the game to tie the game? That says a lot about these young men that are wearing the maroon and white. They're very tough. They have a lot of character. They just don't have a lot of offensive skill. We're starting to, again, I think this is, what, four good games in a row for Tolu Smith. We'd like to have a few more points. But, again, double-double for him. 11 rebounds, 12 points. Stayed out of foul trouble. Uh, Deshaun Davis, 35 minutes of action, nine points for him. And, and all three of those come from beyond the arc. Three for six. Uh, Cam Matthews, 34 minutes played, eight points, 11 rebounds. We're, we're getting our scholarship money out of Cameron Matthews. And listen, I know when we signed him, a lot of people were like, I don't understand. Look at his stats. Listen, guys like him are what win championships. Now, we're not anywhere close to winning a championship, but you've got to have some glue guys that are willing to do the grunt work. And that's who Cam Matthews is. DJ Jeffries, we've we got to have more from DJ. And, and this has kind of been the story with him. Just three points. 28 minutes, one of seven from the floor, and then makes a free throw. Pulls down just two rebounds. That's just not going to get it done. We, we've got to get more from, you know, guys, if DJ has an average game, you win this game. Not going to put all that on him, but that, you know, we've got to have a more consistent DJ Jeffries down the stretch if we're going to get in the postseason. Eric Reed Jr. did not score, attempted three shots, all from three, did not make any of them. Shaquille Moore doing a great job coming off the bench again, a dozen points for him. Didn't make any threes, but, again, doing a good job at the free throw line. And, and that's that was something, too, that, again, I don't know that we're talking about enough. Maybe we're not getting to the line enough. But when we're getting there, we're converting at a much higher rate. And that was a problem that bubbled up. The coaching staff addressed it. Now you're seeing progress in that respect. Uh, Will McNair, Jr., 19 minutes, 10 points for him. So the Bulldogs have three double-digit scores here. And you had a lot of guys go into the scoring column. But, again, it boils down a couple shots. You know, a couple shots what makes a difference in this game. You know, State shot 39.3%. Florida shot 41.8%. They're 13 of 30 in the first half and 23 of 55 on the night. We make 24 shots. The difference is we're 4 of 17 from 3. They're 10 of 24. And a lot of people are going to attack us from the perimeter because they know we're going to grind out possessions. We're going to force them into an ill-advised shot. So they're running sets to get open on the perimeter. And they're making those shots. And so, again, I don't think it's a situation where we've been howling at times like we completely ignored a three-point shot. We're contesting these shots. So people are running looks. We're not good as a three-point shooting team. So they're going to win a three-point shooting contest against us more times than not. But, um, again, we trailed the entire second half, but we had an opportunity, of course, to tie the game on the final possession, and we don't get it done. It was pretty crazy how this thing worked out. We're down 33-24 at the break, and that's with State making a little run there at the end. And then we outscored them 35-28 in the second half. So great second half, we just dug too big a hole. Florida now 11-8 overall, 4-3 in the league. We're 12-7 now, 1-6 in the league. 
And things don't get any easier for the Bulldog men. And again, it's one of those things, too. I, I just I feel like at some point we're going to put some things together. I don't think it's going to be with any you know, consistency or cohesion. But, um, you know, we've got a difficult stretch coming up here. And again, if we can just get through this Big 12 challenge and get to the second half of the schedule, I think you start putting some W's in the win column. But Wednesday, the Bulldogs will be in Tuscaloosa. That is an 8 p.m. tip on the SEC Network, now number two, Alabama. And you talk about a team that's going to jack it up from three, it's Alabama. And then we'll play number 11 TCU this weekend in, in Starkville for, to honor the game of change in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. It feels like you're staring 0-2 right in the face. That's how it feels. It's a bad feeling. It really is. You know, I love the days when it felt like any time we took the floor in basketball, we had a chance to win, unless we were playing Kentucky in Lexington or in the SEC tournament, right? That's how it felt. It felt like anybody else, we had a chance to compete and win the game. I want to get back to that. I think Chris Jans is going to get us there. I still love the hire. I know the SEC numbers are not what we'd have them to be, but we've only been blown out the one time. And that was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and you get that dreadful start. You just couldn't get caught up. But once we get through next week, this current week, excuse me, you get South Carolina, you get Missouri. Missouri better than uh, maybe expected than LSU's in Starkville. You go to Fayetteville, Kentucky. You start thinking, okay, you got a chance here to kind of stack up some wins. And we have to. We simply have to. And, and I'll be honest with you, from the beginning of the year, I never thought this was a tournament team. I still don't, right? And this is not, again, to say I told you so. But this is a year that we're just kind of laying the foundation for what we're building. And that's why I'm not negative. I'm not throwing things. I don't expect to lose. But by the same token, too, I'm not completely devastated when we do because I know we're working towards something. That's how it feels. Like if this was year eight of the Chris Jans era, I would feel differently. It's year one. And the effort level is there. Defensively, we will absolutely get after you. We're going to make you grind it out. We're going to make you work for shots. We're going to make you beat us on the glass. And a lot of teams can't do that. But we're working hard. I think it's important to kind of understand kind of where we are and what we're up against. We just don't have enough offensive pieces. We just don't. That's the reality of it. It's not Christian's fault. It's not these young men's fault that are out there giving their all for Mississippi State. But you feel like if we could get get to a situation that you put a win or two up under your belt, all of a sudden you get some confidence and people get some buy-in. I think you begin to feel good about things. But listen, if we don't win another conference game the rest of the year, I'm not going to get off the Chris Jans bandwagon. I believe in what we're doing. And the fact that we're so competitive game in and game out, that says a lot about what this team is going to look like and what this program is going to be built on once we get a little more offensive talent. All right. Uh, on the women's side of things, uh, you, you may have missed this, but since losing to number one South Carolina by seven in Starkville, which was a tremendous game and State just couldn't close, the ladies have won three in a row. Now, a couple of those have been in pretty impressive fashion, as you guys are aware. You know, you blasted A&M, and then you beat Auburn and uh, give Johnny Harris and her staff a lot of credit. They came back in that third quarter and made it awfully interesting, and State just wore them out in the fourth. And then State wins an absolute thriller on Sunday. And, again, I think maybe you guys want me to stay out here. It's like, you know, one of the more exciting games, and you're kind of keeping up with that, you know, it's like, what, 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 what's going on here? You know, uh, great night, but Kentucky jumps out to a 10 point lead. And, you know, Kentucky had done next to nothing in SEC play. They entered the game one and five. 
And they're, and they're all over the Bulldogs in the first period, 18-8 to eight after one. And you start thinking, well, maybe this just isn't our night. We have a very manageable second quarter. We outscore them 20-5. to five. And any time that you're scoring 20-plus points in women's basketball in a quarter, you keep that up, a good chance you're going to win. But State cuts the 10-point lead down to five at the break. You come out in the third period, you end the third period with a two-point lead, and then the fourth quarter, absolute madness, 55 points scored combined, and State walks away a 77-76 winner in this ballgame. Let's kind of get to these last couple minutes and kind of relive that together. Uh, For those of you that missed it, you know, we we were kind of keeping up with it on Twitter, and thanks so much for all of you uh, that kind of kept up with that. But um, let's take over here with about – uh, two and a half minutes to play. State gets a layup from Jessica Carter to go up four, 72-68. And you start thinking, okay, we're good here, right? We're good. We're good. We're good. All right. And so we get a stop. We come down. We miss a layup. That can't happen. We get another stop. We come down. We get the layup. Now we're up six, 74 with 152 to play, and you feel like, okay, I know how this thing is going to work out, is provided we hit our free throws. Robin Ben from Kentucky goes down and drills a nice jumper, cuts it to four, and then Kentucky gets the stop. They go down another fast break basket from Robin Benton, and it's now a two-point game with under a minute to play. And then Jessica Carter turns it over. So back-to-back empty possession for the Bulldogs. We end up calling a timeout here. We run a good set. This is after we get the stop here. And uh, Alana Smith makes a jumper, makes it a 76-74 game with 20 seconds to play. And lo and behold, it's Robin Benton again on the break, layup, makes it a 76-74 game with 14 seconds to play. You feel like, okay, we're going to figure it out, we're going to figure it out. No, we don't. Alana Smith then turns it over. And again, we lose our composure a little bit on the offensive end, but give – Kentucky, some credit for ratcheting up the defensive pressure. It's Jada Walker there that gets the steal. They go down and make the basket with eight seconds to play to tie the game. And you're thinking there's going to be free basketball in Starkville, but no, there's not. Robin Benton, Kentucky star, fouls Anastasia Hayes, and which is probably the right thing to do rather than give up the basket because the game's over, right? And you make one or two free throws, and uh, they call timeout to advance the ball and fire up a desperation shot there. And that's it. So a wild final two minutes, especially that last minute there, and State hangs on. And can you begin to imagine the pressure of having to step to the line with three seconds to go and uh, and shoot free throw, right? I mean, great win for Mississippi State. Again, shows a lot of character in these ladies. But, uh, again, we're starting to string together some wins. That's the important aspect of all this. You know, there were times early in the schedule we thought, you know what, hey, just not where we need to be offensively. We're just so up and down. But now, three consecutive games, 60-plus points. 60-plus points. And, uh, you know, Kentucky offensively did a really good job. And, again, that's a team that's not playing well. Now, State will be back in action this Thursday in Oxford to take on Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss loses over the weekend to Auburn. Now, I don't know who saw that coming. I didn't see it coming. Maybe you did. I didn't. And, uh, again, give Johnny Harris and her staff a lot of credit because of the fact that they, they play hard. I mean, they had every opportunity to fold in that game against us, and they didn't. They come all the way back and take a third-quarter lead. 
And we're, we're certainly not going to break that thing down. But uh, Ole Miss women's basketball now has dropped, uh, you know, two straight games. And so we're trending in the right direction. Uh, they're not. They, they will, however, be in the, uh, the pavilion, uh, you know, whatever we're calling it these days. But, um, you know, we're going to get their best shot. Absolutely going to get their best shot. There's no doubt about it. And so now you start looking at the standings now as things kind of come into focus on the women's side. State's in the top half of the league. South Carolina, of course, number one, the machine, 8-0 in the league, 20-0 overall. Then there's Tennessee, also unblemished. That Tennessee-South Carolina game will be amazing. LSU, 7-0. And then there's Ole Miss at 5-2. Alabama's 4-2, Arkansas 4-3. And then there's Mississippi State right there. And then everybody beneath us, of course, has a losing record in conference. Auburn's first win in the conference came yesterday over Ole Miss. And so you start beginning to look at this and say, okay, is Ole Miss, is people getting some film and kind of figuring some things out? No matter the circumstances, that is going to be a wild game. So if you are on the fence about going, let me encourage you to go. The ladies will need your support. You know, there have been times that we've gone in there and taken over that arena, and now they want to segregate us and all that kind of stuff uh, and not let us sit close to the court or near our fans or near our, our players or whatever. So if you're thinking about going, encourage you to go. I know a lot of you don't like going to Oxford, but this is an important ballgame because if, if State wins this, then State and Ole Miss are now tied in the SEC standings at 5-3. and three. Really, really important ballgame in many respects. Uh, so, again, excited about the direction of women's basketball. I felt at the beginning of the year that this is a team that's capable of making the NCAA tournament. I think people are, are beginning to buy into that. And you start looking you know, the remaining schedule here, you know, with the exception of maybe LSU and Tennessee, you know, you got a puncher's chance against everybody. You absolutely do. That Alabama game will be in Starkville. Alabama's having a better year this year. You know, but you start looking at this thing, and, and these ladies should absolutely be able to put together a winning record. Four and three in the conference. And let's just kind of run it down here real, real quick here. You know, what, kind of what's left for us. And it's crazy to think about that, that we're already, you know, have that in sight. But Georgia we got to go to Athens. It's always tough to win on the SEC road. Of course, that's after the Ole Miss game. So you get two road games this week. If you could manage to win them both, then life kind of sets up pretty easy for you. Tennessee coming into the hump. I'm glad we get it here, but Tennessee playing like Tennessee used to play under Pat Summit. you got to go to Florida. It's still a game we should be able to win. A&M comes in here. We should absolutely win that one. we got to go to Missouri. We've actually had some difficult times out there. We get Alabama here. It's a toss-up game, of course. Arkansas is here. And then we got to go down to LSU. So let's say you lose LSU in Tennessee. Everything else there, I mean, I'm not going to say you should go into Oxford and win, but you can go into Oxford and win. You should be able to go beat Georgia. You should be able to beat Florida. And certainly Texas A&M and Missouri. So you start running through the numbers here, and you begin to realize this team is very capable of finishing the SEC schedule with a winning record which I think gets us in the tournament. I don't think there's much question about that. I think that would keep you in the top half of the league and gets you in the tournament. You'd be on the road somewhere, but how great would it be to have postseason basketball of the NCAA variety on the women's side of things? be incredible. And so, again, I, again, I think we have hired the right coaches. I continue to say that on the show, but I think, you know, a lesser team would have folded against Kentucky. Kentucky had all the juice late. State began to kind of turn the basketball over. Kentucky forced some turnovers, but we didn't quit. 
and we had a bulldog step up to the line to deliver the winning point in the final seconds. Incredible, incredible performance, and uh, you know, ready for what's next. And it's nice to be able to be competitive on every side, in every side of sports, right? I mean, even with the men, and, and, and give it up for our fans, too. We have a lot of fans that are coming out supporting the team that hadn't ordinarily been here. So we're eager to see that, eager to see you guys kind of be a part of all this. And thanks, as always, for your support of Mississippi State Athletics. All right, final segment of the show brought to you, as always, by Portico. I told you guys many times before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. There's really not much question about it. I love how conveniently located a campus it is. I like the fact that I can get to uh, 12 and 25 and 82 very easily from that. I don't have to navigate through all that traffic on 12 unless I just want to. You can start with a two-bedroom home, two-bath, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and really everything in between. Phase one is completely sold out. Your new neighbors are already enjoying life in Portico. Phase two, under construction now, many of those homes are already sold, but there are some available. And better yet, there are still some lots available for you to kind of pick and choose what you'd like. You can have some say in how that home is built. You can get a custom build. Give our, our friend Brooks Bryan a call today, 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right. Less than 30 days from baseball, we're starting to see some polls come out. A lot of things that are out there right now. And now the, the first thing that I will say, I have seen some social media commentary where people are upset that we're not ranked. Okay, we don't deserve to be ranked. Do I think that we're one of the top 25 teams in America? Yes, I do. But at this point, we have done nothing to suggest that we should be ranked. Now, maybe on reputation, Right? Maybe on the fact that Chris Lamontis has proven to be such a great coach at Mississippi State, you begin to kind of work through that and think, well, they're going to get it figured out. And that was the hope last year. After that Ole Miss series, we go up there and take two out of three, and we feel like, okay, we're still chasing the season, but we still should make Hoover and have an opportunity to make an NCAA regional somewhere. Didn't happen. Absolutely folded down the stretch. There's no question about it. I think sometimes we forget how bad – Mississippi State baseball was down the stretch last year. We absolutely were. Let's take a quick look at that. And not that I wanted to sit here and belabor the point, but let's take a quick look back at that and, and really from that Ole Miss series. And again, so much of this, you know, it's predicated on a lack of pitching. That said, we didn't do a great job offensively down the stretch either. I think some of that is we had some players that were pressing a little bit too much. Uh, we had some players from time to time that did not match their pro potential. We had some guys that just simply didn't get it done. And that's not to, to cast aspersions at anybody, but the reality of it is, is down the stretch, we didn't have a lot of leadership. Bulldogs finished 26 and 30 last year, 9 and 21 in a conference. Not good. Not good at all. So, you know, we, we dropped that series at Athens two games to three, two games to one, excuse me. Then we win the series against Alabama, R.J. Yeager, with a big walk-off on Saturday to clinch the series. We probably should have swept. We just kind of ran out of pitching. We salvage a game in 12 innings at Fayetteville. Luke Hancock coming through big there for us. We get swept by LSU, and that was one of those weekends we just simply just had to endure it. There, there was nothing about that weekend that was fun. 
except for the uh, the ball game on Saturday, where we blew it. Absolutely blew it. Uh, we take two out of three from Auburn that eventually made it to Omaha. We take two out of three from Ole Miss that made it to Omaha. And so we feel like, okay, we're in good shape. We lose the governor's game, and then that weekend in Columbia, Missouri, that seems to be where Bulldog dreams have gone to die, right? We lose two out of three up there, and we get absolutely bludgeoned in that Saturday game, 19-8. We felt so good Friday because we just demolished them. And then we give up a walk-off on uh, Sunday to lose the series. And at that point, I think we all knew that it was over. We get swept by Florida in Starkville. Brutal. And that makes your losing streak now five games. We go to Samford, give up two grand slams in that game. Now it's six. And then we get swept by A&M. Now it's a nine-game losing streak. And those games are competitive with the exception of the Sunday game. We salvage a win against Alabama and then gets absolutely historically thumped by Tennessee. And then, you know, they take the weekend from us and our misery is over. You know, we arguably should have won that Friday game. But you start doing the math here and you begin to realize, guys, when you win one of your last 13 games, it's not good. It's not good. So, no, anybody that's ranking us right now is just doing so because they respect Mississippi State baseball. Now, Perfect Game recently offered their top 25. There were eight SEC teams in the poll. Uh, Auburn comes in at 17. I think this Auburn team will be good. I don't think they'll be great. I think Butch Thompson's done a good job there. I think one of the best things to happen to Butch is John Cohen showing up because they'll allocate more resources for baseball there. Butch will get more of what he wants there than maybe he's had in the past. You know, one thing that I had learned uh, a couple years ago is they, were, they needed to build, like, an equipment shed or something like that, something to do with maintenance of the field, and they couldn't get the money for it, so Butch had to go out there and raise the money himself to pay for that. That won't be the case under John Cohen's there. John will be a champion for Auburn baseball. I think they'll be a good team, not great. Vanderbilt comes in at 11. Now, the bloom is off the rose a little bit at Vanderbilt, which is amazing to consider Uh, when you factor in all of their scholarship advantages there. But Vanderbilt preseason number 11, I do think a lot of that is based off reputation. A lot of pieces off that team gone. I think, again, they'll be a good team. They'll be a factor in the regional. It's all going to boil down to pitching like it will for everybody else. Now, number 10, A&M, they're kind of a sexy pick to win the West this year. Now, currently, I guess they're picked fourth in the West. The West will be loaded like it always is. But A&M's got a lot of pieces back. Schlossnagel does a good job last year working the portal. They have many of those players back. Again, it's going to boil down to pitching. Florida number eight. I think this Florida team can be very, very good. I don't know if they're going to have maybe the offensive pieces they did from a year ago, but they're going to have pitching. As long as O'Sullivan is there, they should have pitching. Ole Miss, number six, I think that is kind of kind of the same benefit State got last year in many respects. This Ole Miss team lost a lot. A lot. They did. So top ten, you could make the case for that, right? You absolutely could. But when you think about the pieces they lost, I don't think Ole Miss finishes in the top ten. I do think as long as Bianco is there, Ole Miss is going to challenge uh, every year for a Super Regional. I don't think there's any question. I think Ole Miss has arrived. I think they're here to stay. They are new money, but hey, they won an NFL championship. What, what can you say about that? Arkansas, four. Arkansas, again, 
this is a Dave Van Horn pick, right? This is Dave Van Horn, one of the best coaches in all college baseball. Last two years, they've had disappointing postseasons. Uh, Arkansas probably should have made it last year and made a deeper run to things. But it kind of fell apart on them late, right? They, of course, they end up making the big show in the end. But it didn't seem – it always seemed like everything was such a struggle for Arkansas last year. It really did. Uh, Tennessee ranked number two this year. A lot of pieces back, but they did lose a lot last year. Uh, Tony Vitello, I think, has kind of proven that uh, as long as he is at Tennessee, they're going to be a factor. I think a lot of people picked Tennessee as high as they did just because of the fact that they were so dominant last year and had one bad weekend. And what is it about the number one seed in the tournament? It's only happened one time that number one seed in tournaments won an Apple championship, and that was Miami back in year one. So you don't want to be picked the number one seed in tournament. I know everybody thinks, hey, this is a good thing. It's not a good thing. And number one's LSU. Let me go ahead and say this. I know that LSU has the pieces. They had a great offseason. I think LSU's got to prove it. Now, what kind of team are they going to be away from their ballpark? I mean, they get to play basically in a softball league uh, park. So they're going to have some huge offensive numbers. But how are they going to be on the road? That's really what, 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 we, you know, what we want to see as we kind of move forward here. But um, pretty crazy when you think about it. Uh, looking at the uh, collegiate baseball poll, only four teams are ranked in the top uh, ten here. Now, collegiate baseball, uh, they put their poll out last month. Mississippi State is ranked in that one. Uh, but, you know, how they rank it, you know, is a little bit different than everybody else. But December 20 at 2022, just before Christmas, they had Ole Miss ranked 24. I think that's a little bit low. I think six is a little bit high. I think Ole Miss probably somewhere in the teens. Uh, State, 22. And then Vanderbilt, 9. Arkansas, 7. Tennessee, 5. A&M, 4. Florida, 2. LSU, 1. So LSU kind of a consensus number one now. I'm just curious to see how Jay and those guys kind of navigate through this when uh, they are now, you know, the hunt hunted rather than the hunter, right? You know what I'm saying? But this, listen, the pieces are there for them to be very, very good, especially offensively. They get Paul Skeens coming in from Air Force. You know exactly what you got with him. State worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and thought we had him for a while. Then LSU simply out-recruited us. Let's just say it that way. They did. They got him. And now we got to deal with him. It'd be one thing if he decided to go somewhere else. But, um, you know, I'm excited about the season. But I think really a lot of it is we just need a palate cleanser, right, after that brutal season we endured last year. We just want to get back to being Mississippi State again. And I suspect we will. One of the things that I'm excited about with this team is not just the portal guys. And it's so easy to get caught up in that. That's what makes you a better team this year. But what makes you a better team long-term is the fact that you're able to consistently recruit at a high level. State has done that since Chris Simonis has been here. I think we have gotten some young players, and, of course, uh, you know, we've had to process some guys out too. But I think when you begin to look at, you know, kind of these young guys coming in here, I think there is a young nucleus that will learn a lot this year and then be better for it in the years to come. All right, let's go back and look to this real quick here. You know, and again, we, we focus so much on the portal guys. I don't know that we fully appreciated, uh, you know, the young guys. So, you know, Brock Tapper, of course, uh, that's the guy that's a left-handed pitcher from DeSoto Central. 
eager to see what he can do. Uh, Gerangelo Sinjay, that's a guy that everybody's talking about. You know, he's an intriguing guy. Can he get this both-hand pitcher thing down in the SEC? I think that he can. Is he a middle reliever or is he a starter? I think he's probably a midweek guy and then does some spot stuff on the weekend this year. Austin Tomasini is a guy nobody really talks about. This is a guy, too. There's a three-pitch mix. I think that he is going to be a very important part of things as we move forward. Dakota Jordan is a guy that I think that will, will have some opportunities this year. Probably play some midweek as your third outfielder. Could also be a designated hitter. This is a big-time guy. To get him to school, this is a guy that looks like a big-time player. These are the guys that you celebrate when they bypass on the draft. Uh, Ryan Williams out of Cypress, Texas, a catcher that's come in. Uh, nobody really talks about him because they're all talking about Ross Highfield. But we've got some good competition at the position. Uh, Ross is a guy that I think will be a leader for this team. I think Ross is a guy that you kind of, in many respects, kind of like Logan Tanner. I think he is a guy defensively that will be where you need him to be. You know, the big thing is, and we've talked about it many times on the show, until you've had to catch or block up a breaking ball from an SEC pitcher in the dirt, you don't know how well you're going to do with it. You don't know. You, you think you do, but you don't. And so that's really the big transition, holding runners and things like that. A lot of that kind of comes with the nuance of the game. But having to block up a breaking ball in the dirt with a time to run at third in the ninth inning doesn't always happen very often. Uh, Hollis Porter out of East Central High School. Hurley, Mississippi has been great to Mississippi State over the years, eager to see what Hollis can do. Uh, Bradley Lofton, of course, uh, had an injury in the fall. The initial prognosis from, you know, the message board stuff was terrible. It doesn't appear to be quite that bad. We'll see once we have a chance to talk to Chris Monos again. Uh, Bryce Hubbard out of Norcross, Georgia, a baseball crazy area out there, another catcher. Uh, Max Miller, left-handed pitcher from Van Cleve, Mississippi. You can never have enough left-handed pitching, and we saw that last year. Uh, Will Gibbs from Prep comes in. It's a baseball crazy program. They've done an amazing job over the years producing players that have thrived on the SEC level. Uh, Evan Sierra is a guy from Columbus, went to Starkville Academy. Excited about him. Logan Forsyth from D'Iberville. But David Marchand may be the one freshman on this list that really kind of made a claim in the fall that, you know what, I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going to come in here and compete. And when you think about, you know, kind of, you know, hey, there are times, you know, offensively at shortstop, we haven't been exactly where we needed to be. And so I could see Mershon getting some reps this year. I think Lane Forsythe is an elite defender. I think a lot of people kind of undersell his ability to make the difficult play look easy. But he does on a regular basis. I think that he is a guy, too, that uh, offensively got better as the year went along last year. You know, we need him in the offense. He can't just be a, def- a defensive specialist. We need that guy to be a guy that can hit up around 300. Uh, we need that. And that's a guy, too, that hits down in the order and has decent speeds. If he gets on in front of your leadoff guy, all of a sudden, you know, you, you got a good chance to have the heart of your order hitting with runners on in scoring position. You love when the nine-hole hitter can get on and uh, allow the leadoff hitter to hit against a pitcher in the stretch. And so that's where we need Lane to really get that on-base percentage up. But, again, we spent so much time talking about transfers and about how that there should be some immediate dividends from that. I think it's important to understand, too, we've also recruited exceptionally well on the high school end. And then all those, guys, all those kids came to school with one exception, right? So we got a great class to campus. And many of those guys enrolled early. And so a young nucleus is kind of being built, I think, for the next great run. This year, a lot of stopgap guys kind of get you back to where you want to be. 
but I think that the foundation beneath them is very solid, and so it's going to be sustainable. I don't think you have to have a bunch of wholesale uh, transfer portal type opportunities this year. Uh, and you, know, you, you kind of use the portal where you need to because you always want to be adding to the top and subtracting from the bottom, right? If you've got guys on your roster kind of down the, the dugout steps from you a little bit, you don't want to let those guys just keep riding the books when you can go get a guy that can make an impact. But I don't think we're going to have to be quite as heavy in the portal this year. I think because of the fact that we've got some young guys that we can kind of build around. And the bottom line is, you know, the developmental process has really been arrested in the NCAA transfer portal era. Because if you have a guy, maybe they're not getting it after year two, you just go ahead and flush him out and go to the portal. And so you need these guys to hit the ground running. And, I again, there's going to be some guys come and go. That's just the nature of things. But the reality of it is I think State's done such a good job recruiting on the high school level that even after this year we're going to be able to get back into the regional hosting conversation. I think we'll stay there for a while. I don't think we're going to have these dips. And, of course, nobody saw this coming last year. I think the reality of it is, is it makes you appreciate the fact that we have been so consistent for so long and we have a season like that. And it kind of reminds us, well, hey, you know, this isn't fun. This isn't comfortable. But I have a lot of faith in Chris Simonis. I have a lot of faith in his staff. We've done a great job working the portal, but even more importantly, did a great job replenishing the pipeline for these guys to come in here and have multiple years of opportunity. I think when you begin to look at, you know, the opportunities for the pitching staff, really the decision you got to make is probably five or six guys out there truly competing for a spot on a weekend. And then some other guys out there, you know, will, will be midweek guys or perhaps middle relievers. And last year we just didn't have that luxury. I think this year we're going to be – a much better team because we're going to be able to close ball games. And I, I love the Aaron Nixon get. I really do. I think Aaron Nixon's going to be a guy that uh, you trot him out there in the ninth inning. I think you're going to feel a whole lot better about life because last year you kind of held your breath because you just it kind of became one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. Like we're going to find a way to blow it again. And then we would. And so I think guys like him that come in that maybe d- doesn't have the sting of last year or the dark cloud of last year hanging over their heads will allow them to be more productive this year. Listen, we're going to cut it short today, and because uh, once the wife gets back, we're going to get dressed to go to dinner and uh, go out and have some fun here in Albuquerque. And I will let you know on social media if we do a Wednesday or Thursday show. So if you don't see a Wednesday show, don't panic. That means I'm traveling. We'll have a Thursday show and a Friday show, right? So you're going to get three shows this week. Uh, But, again, a lot of it depends on when I decide to leave. I I would love to be able to leave uh, on Thursday because that would give me, you know, another day here. But – and the reality of it is, is she's got to go back to work Wednesday night. She probably doesn't want to be hanging around all day keeping her awake because she's got to go back to sleep. So the current plan is to leave on Wednesday. And then, I'll again, we'll update you and we'll kind of see how things go. If I stay here, then I will record Wednesday morning and then travel on Thursday. So we'll see. I'm just kind of leaving it up in the air. We'll see how things go. She might be sick of me by then. I hope not. But if you had not done so, go to dogpilebook.com. You get all my sports books there. Get dogpile kind of relive the 2021 NAFL championship season. Uh, you can also get uh, Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. And, of course, Blooms of Oleander available uh, through Amazon.com, BarnesNoble.com, BooksAndMillion.com. And Stark Villains gear, always available at StarkVillains.com. Be sure and go check that out. Thanks to many of you that bought Stark Villains gear for your loved ones for Christmas or maybe even for yourself. And it's going to be cold baseball weather uh, in February. going to be in the 30s and 40s, so maybe it's time to get a Stark Villain hoodie and wear that as part of your left-field lounge outfit. Listen, you guys have a great week. And, again, I'll be back uh, later in the week and uh, certainly back on Friday, but either Wednesday or Thursday for the show. So don't panic if you don't see it. 
but I will be fine. I will keep you updated on social media. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.